Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Jake Cunningham, and I'm back in my lunar podule this week. No, my comma's in the wrong place. Yeah, <laughs> even the grammar it stops in. <laughs> I'm Ron Burgundy. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Curzon Film Podcast. In this episode, we discuss moon landing masterpiece Apollo 11, plus some crate digging has found us some forgotten Beatles with Yesterday, the new film from Richard Curtis, who's this week's guest. I'm Jake Cunningham, and I'm back in my lunar podule. This week, two cinematic explorers who, between these two films, have made quite the journey across the universe. Welcome to Caitlin Quinlan and Sam Howell. <laughs> Hiya. Before we talk to Himesh Patel, here comes the moon. Let's start with Apollo 11. On the 16th of July 1969, the United States entered the race to the moon by launching a three-man spacecraft drawing from over 11,000 hours of recordings and 18,000 hours of audio, uh, Apollo 11 is the spine-tingling story of their mission. Uh, it's got never-before-seen footage from kind of 70mm IMAX mega footage to 60mm, 8mm uh, personal stock from NASA, uh, unheard audio. It's directed by a guy called Todd Douglas Miller, who made a film called Dinosaur 13 a few years ago. Uh, and it's made up of these first-hand recordings that have been synchronised for the first time. And for me, this is probably one of the best films to come out this year. Guys, do you think it's... I Yeah, it is great. Yeah. It's just a great It's just work. great that it's brilliant, it's isn't it? It's just so good. It's just the best. It's good when things are good, isn't it? Oh, man, I was just so excited. I love it when things are good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this played at Sundance earlier in the year, and it was like... This is a film of never-before-seen NASA footage in IMAX. <laughs> no, yes. it's out in film, oh, please. God. <laughs> yeah, they, so the audio comes from Mission Control, which is that uh, bit that we all know from the films sure. with the big screen and the guys on the computer. And then you've got the footage from inside the capsule of the moon or of all the astronauts. And none of it had been synced up before. And so there was just this idea, of, there was all this audio and all of this video, but never had been put together It's like in this such complete feat of filmmaking that's, you know, I mean, obviously the moon landing was very impressive, but this is very impressive. You're saying this piece. is more impressive. <laughs> this is the this is major event. In not more impressive than the actual moon landing, but as a, as a piece of work and a feat of filmmaking, it's, it is quite remarkable, I think. Yeah, 
I, I think it is incredibly impressive work. Um, and it, it's just incredibly overpowering from the start of it mm. because we feel like we know these events. This is one of the most publicized events in human history. Mm. Like mm-hmm. 600 million people sit down, sat down and watched this. All at once. It is one of the most watched things ever. And yet we watch this film and it feels completely new and it feels like we're watching it for the first time. And I think that, in a way, that shows how uh, important sound is to a film. Like, so often we hear directors say that your sound is 50% of the work. Mm. And it may well be that, although these images are familiar, it's the fact that we're getting that sound along with it that makes it feel so fresh. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think it's funny that we're talking about this so close to Maradona, which is similarly a film that is entirely made up of archive footage where nothing new is created as such. It's all done with things that exist before. It's a real like mosaic in that sense. And it's a way... And this film doesn't even have any kind of narration or any voiceover or like talking heads, anything like that at all. It's all just so like observational, stripped back, like this is what happened. We're going to put some music over it and that's it. Yeah, yeah, it's it feels totally observational. It's weird because you know it because it's archive and because it's we know how much footage has gone into it and the fact that the film is ninety minutes long. Like obviously, this has totally been yeah. manipulated. This is mm. pure editing. This, uh, but it's also completely observational at the same time. Um, I mean, it feels like a genre film at times as well. Yeah, one hundred percent. Everything about it is so. A, a ticking clock mm. essentially yeah. goes through the whole film. A ticking clock is there before the blast off. A ticking clock is there before they um, do the orbit of the Earth to go straight to the moon. And then there's mm. another countdown when they land and then a countdown when they lift back off. The film is made up of loads of different countdowns, which just ramps up the tension, even if it's not a tense moment. <clears throat> because yeah. as you say, this shouldn't be a tense film. We know what happens. Yeah, th- this is the crazy thing. Uh, everyone in the world knows yeah. that this went fine like uh, i know but the thing is it's like you know at the time i think i think that's what it does so well is it immerses you kind of back in that time and obviously you know if we were watching back then we hadn't we would have had no idea what was going to happen there was so much at stake so much you know risk involved in this mission Um, and i think it does such a good job of planting you right back in that moment where you are kind of questioning i mean you know i know i know they landed on the moon i know it's fine but you do really feel like you're just back in that in that time and you're experiencing the emotions and the turmoil of everyone involved in in this mission yeah and it does a great job some of us may not be familiar with the workings of a rocket or or the the physics of the solar system Um, and it does a great job explaining to us just like just the tiniest bits of information that we need to know what they're up to what Mm. what this bit of footage attests to like is this going around the earth is this going around the moon and they've got these great little animations yeah yeah, I think those are one of my favourite parts of the film, actually, is these kinds of graphics that appear at sort of pivotal moments that explain exactly what the rocket's doing and how it's going to manoeuvre itself in space and how parts are going to detach. And it's it's so simple. Like, the drawings are very, very simple. Um, but they're so informative. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, they're so it makes it makes this concept very grasp, graspable, I think. Um, and there's something quite... There's something really nice about that, that it doesn't, it doesn't assume you know everything, but it also doesn't kind of... 
it doesn't necessarily dumb it down. It's just a very kind of coherent and easy to understand um, sort of explanation of what actually happens when a rocket tries to land on the moon. <laughs> yeah, and it's the only time that we feel the modern touch of the filmmaker mm. in the film, I think, anyway, mm. because obviously the, like those animations weren't there on screen. Yeah, yeah, uh, so yeah. they had to be put in there by someone. They don't feel like the footage is being manipulated to bend to the will of the filmmaker. Is the fact that those the style of those animations, those lines, mm. that they... Their, their genesis is within the textbooks of NASA, mm. uh, that they are stylized oh, yeah. to match. Yeah, the yeah, guidebooks. you can almost imagine them being drawn on whiteboards and chalkboards or whatever yeah. to, you know, to to explain to you know whoever in the room. Well, what that's this is exactly that's it. Exactly the the mathematicians gave it to the engineers who gave it to the astronauts. All mm. these textbooks of how everything's worked, uh, which included these drawings, and those drawings would inspire yeah, these animations. That's amazing. Yeah. Also, um, NASA, nineteen sixty nine. If you Buy five coffees, each one is five cents, you get the sixth one free. Really? There was a sign in in, uh, in the film. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I, Forget the space Good stuff. observation. Like, wow. yeah. Look, at the, uh, <clears throat> Look at those coffee prices in that deal. <laughs> and like, if now, no one's doing the free, this, free I, coffee at the sixth. They're doing free coffee at the tenth. The tenth, yeah. yeah. But this, again, you know, talking about how it immerses you back in the time, I think it's this great time capsule of America in that moment, especially, you know, America in that moment. Um, and there's lots of footage of crowds and, you know, people at home watching mm. and all the different kind of, you know, this was kind of a nationwide mission in a sense you know you've obviously the the astronauts and the people working at nasa are you know far more crucial yeah. to it and you do see them and you see how much of an effort it was and how much how many people were involved in the kind of you know the the yeah the the efforts taken but you also see you also have these wonderful shots of the crowds mm. um either standing like across the bay about to watch the the launch or you see people at home um and the footage is so vivid and rich and just just wonderful i think you know even just looking at hairstyles and clothing and old cameras and um cars and i think like we were talking about the fonts used mm. on storefronts and things like that it's this really wonderful collection of images i think just to to sort of sum up what america was like at that time mm, yeah. and those bits aren't just b-roll they're a significant yeah. part of it um because the bravest thing that the film does for me is that it doesn't give you a protagonist or an antagonist or a main character or anything like that in in this film, the easy option is to make Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, mm. Michael Collins your main focus. But as much as the guys in the capsule are the focus, so are the people on the ground, so yeah. are the people in mission control, so are the friends and family. This feels so tense. Mm. And you're totally removing the idea of a main character to connect to as well. And you're just bringing that tension in from that collective consciousness, yeah. that collective nervousness about this mission. And all from and archive footage. It's, yeah. yeah, it's incredible. You feel totally within that world, within that experience. Mm. Uh, it's the closest that we will come to ever watching that footage and being one yeah. of those 600 million, I think, anyway. Yeah, definitely. Um, and if you can, please go and watch it in the cinema. I think if, if you've seen For All Mankind, uh, the documentary from the late 80s, it's definitely <clears throat> one for you. Um, but anyone who's got a passing interest in space or is a big fan of stuff like First Man, Apollo 13, yeah. uh, Interstellar, these yeah. these films that do root themselves within that reality of space travel a little bit anyway. It's, it's definitely one to seek out for sure. All right. Uh, Sam, there is another film out this week that had a pretty long and winding road to getting into production. <laughs> and uh, you spoke to the man who helped get it there. I did, Jake. I did. Uh, so this is Yesterday, which is the new film written by Richard Curtis and directed by Danny Boyle. Uh, so the film stars newcomer Himesh Patel, who audiences may know as Tamwar 
from EastEnders, <laughs> as I did. Did you? Really? Yes. Oh, I, I never he was I, in I it. I don't watch EastEnders. He was in it for 10 years. Wow. Was he? Yeah. Oh, wow. He's, oh, I thought he was like a Break, newcomer. Yeah. yeah. We were like breakout star. Well, yeah. Wow, nice. This is his first, uh, yeah, major film. Film role. Extenders, yeah. Uh, he plays Jack, whose career as a singer-songwriter is not going well. Uh, he has a best friend called Ellie, who's played by Lily James, who is his, not only his best friend, also his manager, uh, who's also in love with him. Uh, after a mysterious blackout, <laughs> it turns out he's the only one who can recall the Beatles' back catalogue. So with the iconic songs in his arsenal, he becomes the world's biggest singer-songwriter. But at what cost? At what cost, indeed? So I was lucky enough to sit down and speak to the great Richard Curtis. Okay, Richard Curtis, welcome to the Curzon Podcast. I'm very excited to be here. I have so many happy memories of um, the Curzon. Many movies when I was young, not in the English language, um, but with any luck, um, still is perfect for being so. I think I saw... The Phantom de la Liberté. I seem oh, to remember okay. seeing that movie yeah. once when I was young there, but... Anyway, it's great to be here. Uh, so we had to talk about yesterday, of course. Uh, so this story came from, well, the concept came from Jack Barr. Can That's you talk right. talk about how you heard this concept for the first time, what kind of shape it was in, and then how you reshaped it? I stopped the conversation quite right. quickly because my friend Nick Angel rang me, who was a producer of that film, and said, we've got this idea. And I can't remember if he was asking me to, you know, maybe even think about directing it or get involved. And I said, look, stop there, because if it's possible for me to write a film based on that sentence, I would absolutely love to. And so that's what we eventually worked out. So I would just had the simple idea, okay. but, you know, the completely central and brilliant idea yeah. that Jack had had. And it's interesting, because from Love Actually Onwards, it seemed like you were very much in this mode of like a writer-director until about time. And yes. One would think you would have directed this. Have you stopped directing? Or have you I have stopped directing. And uh, what a lovely sort of proof of the pudding this one is because Danny's made such a great job of it. I mean, I just felt as though I, I was a bit unhappy about... Sometimes the best scenes I would direct the worst, you know, because right. I thought the scene was strong and therefore I didn't know quite what to do extra. Yeah. And then I would watch those scenes and thought if I'd really got into it. I, I blame a guy called Drake Teramus who made a movie called Like Crazy and I oh, just yeah. so loved the texture of that movie and thought, oh, he's really doing something with people's feelings there that I can't do. Mm. Um, so yeah, on this one I decided not to do it and then actually, literally, it happened by chance. Danny wrote to me and said, have you got anything you know, on your books at the moment. And I just finished the movie, you know, that day. So I sent it to him and um, and the rest is yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> and how easy was it then to kind of part this off to Danny to, you know, shape in whatever way he wanted? Or were well, you no, that isn't, that isn't how, uh, that isn't sort of how I've ever right. worked. And Danny, you know, was really happy with that. So he told me, you know, how he'd like the script changed and sort of that was a bit conditional on him doing right. it because Danny doesn't want to do anything he doesn't want to do. Uh, and I was happy with that. He'd spotted some flaws, but okay. more he found things that we could sort of expand and make more fab. Um, then, you know, we were very together on the casting. Um, I was there all the time the movie was shot, but mainly to eat the bacon sandwiches because I obviously <laughs> couldn't really advise Danny on how to direct. 
and then you know we kept on discussing the edit right through to the very end so it is a it is a partnership sure, but yeah. with you know him very much the senior partner as far as the directing and him being very respectful delightfully respectful of yeah. the script which because he likes to really lock the scripts so he yeah. knows what he's if he knows what he's shooting on a day he can then shoot it marvelously rather than having to worry about the script and the content okay so getting Beatles tracks into a film then I'd imagine that's not the easiest thing to do in the world. How did that come about? How? What was the sort of mission um, to get it that done? It was, um, I, I've kind of forgotten the sequence of events, but basically at some point quite early, we must have been quite confident we'd get right. a deal. Yeah. Uh, I think that it's, you know, I think it's Sony Publishing, and they were all covers, so it wasn't that we had to sort of watch very yeah. carefully the original Beatles songs being juxtaposed with as it were, like videos, sure, which yeah. they wouldn't want. Um, I also think, you know, it helped that it was a sort of love story and about music and by me and Danny, whereas if it had been, you know, Ted Bundy, the serial killer's enthusiasm for Beatles songs, they might have said no. So eventually we were in the blissful situation of being yeah. able to choose which songs and, um, you know, as long as we didn't do more than 15, I think it okay. was. And how did you choose which? Because obviously the whole Beatles library, there's, yes. there's so many you could pick. How did you pick which ones would go in the film? Was it very carefully selected? Very carefully selected, yeah. but I mean, what a luxury. There I am, I'm typing the film, and I've, as it were, got a filing cabinet yeah. of cards of Beatles songs. And I like, for instance, on the whole, we kept to the more famous ones, because that's sort of the joke of the movie. Sure. You know, if someone sits down in their living room and plays um, Let It Be, that's a crisper joke than yep. if they play Rain. Uh, you know, so I think that uh, I was sort of forced into the most famous bits of the catalogue. And then, you know, amazing lucky things. So I thought, oh, I'll use help two-thirds of the way through because that really is a cry for help and that's when he's in trouble. Right. And, and oh, he, that, but there's back in the USSR, so maybe that could be the first foreign audience yep. that he plays to. And, you know, so eventually all the songs found their natural point. So Himesh Patel then, can you talk about uh, his audition and what it was that made you feel like, yes, this is this is Jack, this is the guy? Well, it's so scary when you set off to try and find a new leading man. Yeah. You know, I remember it was agony finding Hugh and, you know, very complicated again finding Tom Sturridge and then Donald Gleeson. And so we were starting that same journey. But you discover about them, particularly leading parts, because you tend to have a rather, if it were the smaller parts with sort of particular jokes attached, you're clearer. Yeah. But with a leading role, it could go so many ways, because in a way, there's something more plastic about the leading character in, in the films I write. And a lot of the first people we saw, the music sounded a bit artificial, sounded like cover versions, sounded like karaoke, sounded like mm. stage school. And suddenly Himesh came in with this modesty and wryness and mystery and slight melancholy. And then when he played the songs, they were him, but you could sort of see the original Beatles through them. It didn't feel like he was trying to grab them. It feels yeah. like he was just diving into them. So it was just, you know, casting someone to play a lead is a bit like falling in love. You have to, <laughs> you kind of eventually decide who you want to go out yeah. with on 142 dates with every day for the next year. Uh, and it was definitely him. Okay. And something that sort of surprised me about the film, and I think surprised a few people, is Ed Sheeran's role. 
because from the trailers, I think people assume it's a cameo, but it's, yes. he's very much a full-on role. Was that there from day one? Yeah, always, always. And I, I, I mean, I think I had confidence we'd be able to find someone yeah. famous who could, okay. who could deliver. And I mean, when Ed said yes, I rewrote. You know, there were originally no jokes about tattoos and ginger hair, but now and and rapping, um, but now there are more. Okay. And have you spoken to Paul or Ringo? about the film um i bumped into paul uh, at his concert and he said oh i hear you're doing it how's it going uh i think he hasn't seen it ringo i know has seen it and wrote a lovely letter to danny about it so i mean i think the beatles should always keep uh, they'd be well advised to keep at arm's length they have created a perfect edifice they don't they don't need me or anyone to you know uh add to their legacy but it's a great thrill to be able to you know use the the songs sure uh so along with this and about time you seem to be experimenting with sort of ideas and genres and but then i think there's something that's in most of your films is this idea of falling in love um as you you know your career progresses are you thinking of other ways to show falling in love in these weird different narrative structures well that's yeah i mean it's clearly my you know subject and you do wonder why but then i think when it comes to painters why do why do all of chagall's pictures look the same obviously there's something in us which drives us to do the thing that we do and i think that i'm interested you know i'm covering increasingly some things i'm very interested in so in this one it's in some ways also about work and and home yeah you know he's got this massive work opportunity to be the only yeah. person in the world who remembers the beatles but really lily james is going to make him happier so it's a little bit about that which i struggle with every day should i do an extra out work i should go home to the people i love yeah. um and in about time about time was as much about sort of marriage and family and four weddings yeah. was about friendship and love so uh, i i hope i've covered well, I, the love thing seems to be there. It seems to be my sort of soup can. Um, I think that um, I, I'm trying to sort of get around the subjects that interest me. Yeah. Um, so it's it's quite a few years since Love Actually, and that's become this strange, almost cult film. How aware of you of kind of the way the audience perceives your films, and do you sort of keep track of how that changes over time? Well, that's yeah, what's, what an interesting question. Maybe, maybe I mean, I, I'm now work. happier about my work than I was right. like 15 years ago because people uh, seem to repeat watch. And yeah. one of the great things is when you release a movie, there are always critics who don't yeah. like it. But very few people come up to me now and say, your films are shit. I mean, it would just be <laughs> it would just be socially so such a bizarre thing to do you know so you only really hear the good I, i'm yeah. sure there are as many people who switch off love actually when it comes <laughs> on the telly as stay watching but i think we got particularly lucky with that one just because of the christmas yeah. thing that it seems to become every year it gets yeah renewed, it seems to become of, yeah. a habit yeah okay and can you talk about your writing process then and kind of leading on from that do you have stuff in your head that you want to do next after this well, the writing is, I can't remember. That's the weird thing. You know, I think I know, I mean, there are some things I know I always do, which is that when I'm writing, I'm aware of, unlike a novelist who sits down and has to, I imagine, make every page perfect as they go along, yeah. I'm aware that sometime I'm writing plot, 
Sometimes I'm writing scenes. Sometimes I'm writing characters. Sometimes I'm writing jokes. And I tend to, you know, slowly add to the plot and the story and then go back and say, well, how would these two people talk to each yeah. other? And then I write 10 pages and then I take out the best bits. Um, as far as what I'm going to do next, I actually don't know at the moment because okay. I'm going into a year of campaigning about the global goals right. for the UN. So uh, let's see what happens. Okay. And finally, I just want to ask you, if you ever rewatch your own films and revisit them, and when you do, do you kind of think, oh, God, did I write this? And things like that. Well, it is funny how you, th I mean, how they seem to me to have been slightly made by a different person. Yeah. The person who wrote Love actually seems pretty perky now <laughs> to me, you know, and Blackout is a mystery um, to me. But uh, I think the danger, you know, the funny thing about writing movies is the moment they're locked, they become a very expensive diary. So when I'm watching a film, I think, oh, she wasn't in a good day mood that day. Oh, God, the prop's not right. Um, I remember the light being difficult. You know, it's quite difficult for me to actually say that is Bridget Jones. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's sort of, it's Renee, and there's Hugh, and there's Colin. But one of the great things about before you lock a movie yeah. is you have to have this thing where you sort of vacuum your mind and say oh i wonder what's going to happen to that guy i don't know and i think that's one of the great self-disciplines that you have to do is is when you make a move. hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. movie is to have that permanent ability to sort of be innocent about the story as you're sure. working on it. Great. Richard Curtis, thank you very much for your time. It's a great honor. This story that we've got, uh, this one guy is the only guy in the world to remember the Beatles. It's, it's such an odd one. Um, and it initially came from Jack Barth and Mackenzie Crook, as writer Mackenzie Crook uh, of The Office and Detectorists. And on this version that we see in the film, I think Jack Barth retains a story by credit. Mackenzie Crook is thanked at the end. Uh, and this is because it came into Curtis's hands, or the 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 idea yeah, did. That's right. But he didn't want to know what the whole script was. No, I think he was sort of pitched, or like someone said to him from Working Title, "Oh, there's a really great idea floating around. It's uh, what if one guy was the only person in the world to remember the Beatles?" And then he goes, "Okay, stop. That's all I need to hear. <laughs> I'll go off and do what I want with that idea." Yeah, and I have to say, once I saw the trailer come out. Yeah. I thought this is so mad that I I am I have to see this film because it just seems utterly yeah. ludicrous. Um and I don't like this. How wrong you were. <clears throat> yeah, oh yeah, it's just really normal. <laughs> it's a real normal film. Um 
Uh, it's not. It's very odd, and it's very in a odd. way, like I really admire it. Like I, as I came out of it, I said, "That is Richard Curtis's Welcome to Marwen," <laughs> and I, I like Welcome to Marwen, right? Uh, because it is so odd, and it's clearly just someone's got their idea, they've got their vision, and they've put it on the table in yep. front of us. And between Danny Boyle and Richard Curtis, I think they have made the film they wanted to make. Good for them. <laughs> I yeah. I, I wonder how. I mean, hearing that one line of, imagine only one man remembered the Beatles. It. I mean, in a way, you can tell that that's all that he kind of went from. And I don't think that's necessarily the best way to approach a kind of story like that. Um, because because this story feels very uh, plot holy and quite um, just. I mean, yeah, it's it's absurd, but but in a way, I think it, you know if if there was certain things ironed out, if there were explanations made for some other things, you could be kind of a bit more on board with it. Um, but but the script and the story, I think there's there's just something missing that doesn't quite put it all together in a kind of in a way that makes much sense <laughs> yeah I, I think when you're when you're going with something high concept like this you yeah. need to figure out the rules of your exactly. universe yes. which yeah, yeah. about time does really well about time has this idea where donald gleason discovers he can travel through time he has to go to a dark corner or like a dark space really think about it and then he <laughs> wakes up where he's planned to go back mm. in time and it affects the future when he changes time and he changes things in his past and and it's it's so n- nicely dealt with in one scene with Bill Nye, his dad, who also has the same power. Mm. And that's it. Mm. And the film sticks to those rules that they talk about and they have repercussions. And I know time travel is maybe easier to do because it's a common thing, but this... Are you saying people forgetting the Beatles and only one guy remembering isn't a common thing? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, but with I suppose with time travel, there's other things to grasp onto about the rules of time travel, whereas here it's a new thing, so the rules aren't quite as clear... But I don't think they've thought of the rules here. Yeah, um, it is. It's so interesting to watch because so much of it is fascinating because of this idea yeah. and the repercussions that that could have, and so much of the the fun that comes from the film comes from that. But then so much of the frustration of the film comes <laughs> from that as well because you think right because you start doing the maths in your head, right? Yeah. If, if that didn't exist, then X didn't exist, then bloody bloody bloody. This couldn't yeah. have happened, and the yeah, whole yeah. story doesn't make any yeah. sense. Yeah, but. I think by the time you get to the end of the film, the film itself kind of acknowledges that fact as well. And it's almost telling you to not care. I think you And to just go into it as an opportunity to see this guy, to see these songs, to see a director really going for it as well. Everyone in the film is so going for it. Yeah, I think this film is a very roundabout way of kind of just saying how much they love the Beatles. Like, that's really what it is. It's fundamentally about how the Beatles bring everyone together and, you know, we need to remember, like, the joy of their songs and all this kind of stuff. But it, but it's just a very strange way of, of saying that. And I feel like there, there could have been any, well, there are any other, you know, number of Beatles films. But this just doesn't, for me, it doesn't, it doesn't fit in that kind of, you know, there's too there's too much going on. There's too many holes. Um, but everyone does look like they're having fun, which is is nice. Himesh Patel, the the kind of the new star, um, I think he's great. He seems um, he's he's a great singer as well. Actually, I think yeah, good performer. Um, that that works really well in the film. I think generally, any time I was questioning the logic of it was any time that he wasn't he wasn't on, in on, it. Yeah. yeah, as soon as he's yeah. on screen, he's it really lights good. up. He's yeah. brilliant. He's very uh, funny as well. I think I, I think there's some there are some jokes that fall a little bit flat, but but the scenes with him, you know, it's, it's a little hard not to kind of smile at, at what he's doing and, and his, yeah. his 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 humour. Uh, it's it's 
so exciting to see someone just appear on screen like that and just instantly be a star. Yeah, it is exciting. And I think he is a star. Yeah. And there's uh, like a real mixed bag of supporting cast members oh. as well. Um, <laughs> Where do we start? Yeah. So but this is like another, I think, I, I think talking about sort of like directors fitting into boxes in a way, this film does have very many kind of box characters. I think some of them are quite absurd caricatures of like the, you know, the awful agent in America who's going to kind of lead him to fame and fortune, but really it's, you know, his downfall and, um, you know, the, those kinds of just yeah, and then the the, the kind of lovesick you know f- best friend from home played by oh, Lily that, James. That's just like, like Richard Curtis trying to flip his own trope. Yeah, um, yeah, and and I think he's being self-referential here as well. There's a scene that 100% is is a reference to Love Actually, yeah. um, which is you know maybe sweet but a little kind of eye rolling <laughs> as well. Um, but I I think uh, yeah, putting the plot aside and uh, any. Ed Sheeran's aside. Sheeran's in this film so much. <laughs> Ed Sheeran is in this film too much. I think he's like the third lead. <laughs> it is, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but there is there is something to be said about just how unapologetic, how unironic yes. it is. Like It knows what it's about and it's sincerely going for that. Yeah, it's completely unironic, completely sincere joy. Um, and I think there's something to be said about that. That it's uh, it's not too referential. It's not too winking at the camera. I think it is quite pure in a weird <laughs> way. Like it's just like this is fun. Yeah, yeah. And that's all you need sometimes. So I think love yeah. is all you need. Fun, it, fun is all you need. Fun is all you need. <laughs> um, and I mean, this is definitely one for Richard Curtis fans more so than Danny yes. Boyle fans. I, I don't think, think so. like this yeah. is going to go down. But as... what is... What are Danny Boyle fans like apart from? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who knows what Danny Boyle? Oh, I love the beach. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, if you, I think of all the Richard Curtis films, maybe if you like About Time a lot. Yes, it's very About Time. Sure. Yeah, and so, so that's yesterday, along with Apollo Eleven, which are both out in cinemas this week. Uh, Sam, what's happening on demand? On demand, you can watch the latest horror film from Peter Strickland in Fabric, uh, and you can check out uh, our podcast series Strickland on Strickland, uh, in which you we interview Peter on all of his films, and you can watch all of his films as well on Curzon Home Cinema. So that is Catelyn Varga, Barbarian Sound Studio, and the Duke of Burgundy. Uh, each of those have an introduction by the great man himself as well. So we've got a lot of Strickland going on. Wonderful. Delightful. All right. Uh, if you've got any thoughts on Apollo 11 or yesterday or in Fabric, uh, let us know. You can tweet us at Curzon Cinemas. Mm. Uh, and if it's your first time listening to the show, just subscribe if you're there. Just click the button, you know. Uh, uh, leave us a review or a comment as well. That'd be wonderful. You can do that on iTunes, Acast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and if you want to keep up with all of us, you can do that on Twitter. Uh, Caitlin, you're over there at... I am. I'm over there at CSA Quinlan. Sam? Uh, at Sam Hallett underscore one. And I'm there at Jake H. Cunningham. Thank you so much for listening. Farewell. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 